Thank you for joining us here on the Bowling Green Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God, encourage our community, serve those in need, and share the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about how we do this on our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org. It is our prayer that the following message encourages you as you take your next step in faith. Lord, we are thankful that your love, that it comes with no conditions, and we are so thankful that your love is directed towards us. This morning, God, as we begin a new series thinking about your love and the love that you call us to, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, today we kick off a new series called Passion Led Us Here. And I know that the word passion can be loaded sometimes, you know, what does it really mean? So I want to sort of define the word passion the way that I would like to use it through the series. Uh, we're going to say passion is this, that it is a love that leads to action, okay? Love that leads to action. So if you are passionate about Griff's Deli, which I am, you eat there regularly, and they wonder, how is it that you always have a free meal on your card, it's just because I'm passionate about this place. I come all the time. If you're passionate about a particular team, then you pay the extra money. It leads you to action. You get that access satellite pass thing, whatever they call it, for the sport that you want to watch. And then you can stream or watch live every single game and then DVR the ones that don't fit into your schedule. It's a, a passion. It's a love that leads you to action. People that are passionate about each other uh, they have a way of just sort of arranging circumstances so that they can run into each other. People that are passionate about each other, they do things for each other. They go out of their way to care for each other. And passion is one of those words that we sort of like, we like this idea, but when it comes to church, we don't always put passion and church together, which is really a shame. Because if you think about the word passion and you think about Jesus, you realize that there's a strong connection there. Uh, the very last week of Jesus' life, we refer to as the Passion Week. When Jesus goes to the cross, his love leads him to action, and he goes to the cross to suffer and die for our sins. We call that the Passion of Christ. And as we begin this series, what we're really going to be doing is going through the values or the mission of our church, and it's all about love. It's all about a passion that leads us to action. If you've been with us for a while, you know that there's four key relationships that we talk about. One is a love for God, and we've been spending some time in worship this morning showing God, expressing that love. We talk about encouragement, to, to encourage other Christ followers to, to, to take the next step in their faith to become a little bit more like Jesus. We talk about serving, showing people God's love, people that are broken, that need some help, that need a hand. We want to show them God's love. And then finally, we want to share. We want to share God's love we want to tell people about God's love, people that have not heard the amazing story of Jesus. But all of this comes back first to this first relationship, and that is a love for God, this love for Jesus. And it is the key relationship that really out of everything else, it, it flows from there. Uh, if you go back in the church's history here, our church's history, you know, back to the early 1960s, what is it that inspired a group of people to, to start a church and to make the sacrifice to, to buy property and build? What, what is it that did that? It was a passion for God and for the community. Passion led us here. The Apostle John, who was somebody who walked and talked with Jesus, uh, I mean, through his entire life, he, here's what he says about love. He says, we love because he first loved us. 
John is writing this later in the church's you know, history. He's writing this probably one of the last letters that's written. And John is trying to answer the question for everybody that's maybe coming to the Jesus movement at that time a little bit later than maybe he did. And he wants them to know why we do this is because God loved us first. And because we love God, everything else comes out of that. It all flows from the love of God. That's where it all starts. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. It's going to be a little bit of a different kind of sermon. I, I want to give a little bit of a testimony in my own thinking, and in, a little bit of just some, some steps or some things that I have come to learn recently in the last, I mean, I would say two, three years that have really changed the way I think about Jesus, that have changed the way that I think about church, that have changed the way that I think about ministry and life. And I'm hoping that as I share these things that, that have come to me, and I've, I've got some scripture I want to, to kind of show you where it was there hiding in plain sight the whole time. I'm hoping that perhaps you will see something a little bit different about Jesus, and maybe you will have an increased uh, love or a desire to serve and to follow him. So there's two truths I want to share with you, and that's sort of an action that flows out of that. The first one is this. It's pretty simple. It's that Jesus was perfect, so I don't have to be. That's, that's the first one. Jesus was perfect, so I don't have to be. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you go, yeah, we, we know we got that. But do you really have that? I, I know that I didn't. You, you may not know this about me, but I just sort of have in my internal wiring this, this standard that I live by, and we all have one of these. And when I don't live up to that, I carry a lot of guilt and shame around with me. I just do. I heard somebody say it this way. He'd been in ministry for a long time. He was talking to a group of pastors. He said this. He said, you know, pastors, they're like everybody else, but only more so. And you go, well, what, what's that mean? Well, here's what it means. Here's what he was saying. He was saying that, you know, just like everybody wants to have a good marriage, you know, the, the guy that stands in front of you on Sunday morning, he wants to have a good marriage, but only more so because he has this sense that everybody's looking at his marriage and looking at his wife and going, well, is he really doing all that stuff he's talking about on stage? Because... You know, I know that I'm not, but is he doing it? And so there's this standard here. You know, I, the same thing with kids, right? Everybody knows who the preacher's kids are. You know, you, you see them down in Sunday school, they go, you know, you know whose kid that is? That's, that's, that's the PK, that's the preacher's kid. That's who that kid is. And, and there's this kind of this view on these kids and my kids, and they're going, you know, are they living up to this standard? And they look at me as a dad, and there's sort of this referendum. You know, are they, are they doing well or are they not? If not, he's clearly a, a loser of a parent. You know, if they're doing well, then maybe... You know, maybe there's hope for the rest of us. And so there's this standard here. And then, I, I mean, I take it on myself also because I know my kids hear me preach. And I don't want them to leave going, man, well, that's what he says on Sunday morning. But you should see him like Thursday and Wednesday and all those other days. And so I have this standard. And when I don't live up to it, which is often, I, I sort of take this guilt and the shame on myself. And, and I feel bad for not having lived up to that. That and dad grew up in the fundamental church of Christ, but that's a story for a different day, and we'll get into that some other time. And so there's a lot of this that sort of weighs in on me. And it was somewhere, I don't know, spending some time in prayer, looking through scripture, it came to me that Jesus was perfect. I don't have to be perfect. God didn't plan for me to be perfect. He planned for Jesus to be perfect. That's the only one. Here's how the Apostle Paul, an early Christian theologian and thinker, will describe this. He says it this way. He says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Notice the emphasis there. It said, we were sinners. God didn't come to you because you had your life together. He came because your life was falling apart. That's why God comes. God didn't expect us to be perfect. He planned for us to not be perfect, which is why he sent Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So those of you here who you don't live up to your own expectations, those of you here who you've got a standard in your mind and you don't ever make it and you never live up to it, guess what? That's okay. Jesus was perfect, so you don't have to be. That's the message of Scripture. That's the message of, of Jesus' teaching. That's what Paul's trying to communicate to us. Now, I shared this a couple years ago and uh, put it on Facebook. And I just, you know, I was like, man, this is something that I'm learning about God, that Jesus was perfect, so I don't have to be. And another friend of mine who's a pastor out in some, some church out in the East Coast somewhere, we're all a little deranged. We just got to be honest with ourselves. His reply to my post was this, well, just so long as you don't take advantage of it. All right. Thanks. I, I don't know really what the intent on this was. I think it's sort of like, you know, don't, don't run out. You know, God's love, it's limited. You know, once you've, once you've hit your quota, it's all over. I, I'm not sure where he's going with that. But, but the truth is that God's love doesn't run out. God's forgiveness doesn't run out. Jesus was perfect. You don't have to be. I don't have to be. You know, here's what John says. John, the verse we looked at earlier, here he comes back to it. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. John is writing to a church of imperfect people, just like me and you. And what he is saying is, listen, you don't have to be afraid even of judgment day, which is the day everybody's afraid of, right? John says, you don't have to be afraid of that. If God's love lives in you and you are growing in love, you don't have to be perfect. God's taken that into account. You just have to accept God's love. God's love has to come into you and you have to love God. If you do that, that takes care of it because God's not running around with a spreadsheet or a 10 key calculator, you know, tallying up everything that you've done wrong today. He's not. He loves you. Jesus is perfect. So you don't have to be. And John says, we don't have to be afraid. I don't know about you, but I've never made a decision I'm proud of when I make a decision based on fear. Fear is one of those things that traps us. It, it puts us into a corner. It, it, it shortens our you know, options. And we just think, man, I got just a couple, couple choices here. But when you make decisions based on love, it changes everything, right? When you love somebody, there's, there's nothing that you wouldn't do to show your love to that person. Love sets us free. Fear holds us back. You tell me how we should be living our life with God. And it's not afraid. Jesus was perfect, so I don't have to be. We're all a work in progress, friends. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture comes here from Philippians. Paul writes this. He says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. I want to underline this for you. Notice that it's this. It's he who began a good work. Now, I think often we see that he who began a good work, and then we have to complete it. Like God starts it, and like he forgives us, and he says, all right, that was your one chance. Now you got to get your life together. That's not what this verse says. This verse that says, says this, that he who began a good work, that he will carry it on. God is going to carry it on. Until when? Until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. 
What does that mean? It means that we will never be perfect until Jesus comes back. We will never be perfect until Jesus comes back. We are all a work in progress. And so we need to be patient. And we can take it easy on ourselves because Jesus was perfect. So we don't have to be. Now, if you're here this morning and you know that that's true, I'm going to say this one more time and I want you to say it with me. And if you're here this morning and you maybe aren't sure, but you really would like for that to be true, I invite you to say it with us also. So let's just say this together. Real simple. Jesus was perfect, so I don't have to be. That truth has really been changing my life and my relationship with Christ. The second truth is this. It is my sinfulness that attracts Jesus to me. It is my sinfulness that attracts Jesus to me. Jesus didn't pick me because my life was somewhat together. Jesus didn't pick you and come into a relationship with you because your life was together. He came to me and to you because our life was a mess. That's the message of Scripture. And I know some of you are out there and you're going, I don't know that you're right. This isn't my idea. This was Jesus' idea. Here's what Jesus said. It says he was having dinner at Matthew's house. And many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So here's Jesus at a dinner party surrounded by sinners. The Pharisees, these are the religious experts. They saw this and they asked the disciples, they say, why does your teacher eat with sinners? Why is your teacher eating with these sinners? And Jesus overhears this and he says this, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have bad news for you today if you're righteous. If you're righteous... God didn't come for you. You're on your own. If you're righteous and your life is together, you don't don't go to Jesus. He didn't come for you. He's got nothing for you. But if your life is a mess, if you have sin in your life, if you would say, I am a sinner, I have great news for you. Jesus came for you. He came because of your sin. He didn't come in spite of it. He didn't come despite your sin. He came because of your sin. It is your sinfulness that attracts Jesus to you. And so perhaps you're tired. Maybe you've been in church for a while and you've been trying to live up to this impossible standard that you just can't live up to. Let me tell you, you can let that go. And you can just surrender yourself to the love of God, allow God's love to come into you, and that will change your life. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to try. When you enter into a true relationship with Christ and his love flows in you, it comes very, very naturally. And it's amazing how easily it comes. Jesus, he said it this way. He said, come to me if you're weary, if you're burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's taken a few years, but in our home, we've learned something about ourselves. Jenny and I are not gardeners. We like the romance of a garden. We like the idea of a garden. We love the garden in theory. But the planting and the tilling and the weeding and the harvesting, all that is very unattractive to us. So like everything about gardening, when it really comes down to it and the humidity is like 130 and it feels like it's 2,000 degrees outside because you're in the garden for whatever reason, that's really where it breaks down for us. 
But it took us a while to figure this out. I mean, we had to learn this because at first we thought, man, we're gardeners. We moved out to the country. What do country people do? They garden. So we're ready. We're going to turn up a plot of ground. We're new at this. So I, I attacked the sod at first with a shovel. This is Kentucky clay. It's been baking like it's hard. Like you could like make a bowl. Pottery is really what I'm dealing with here. Um, and I realized this is not going to work. So, you know, I went back inside um, and thought, you know what we need really? We need reinforcements. We need a tiller. This, this is going to be a game changer. So I found a friend of mine that had one for sale. He sold it to me at a reasonable price. It wasn't great, but it was good. I took this tiller out, and in about 30 seconds, I wrecked it. I wrecked the tiller. The ground was so hard, I destroyed it. Apparently, you're supposed to start at a shallow setting and work your way down. Yeah. Just a tip for those of you that think you're gardeners, too. So now I've got to reformulate the plan, because the shovel, that's not going to work. The tiller, I'm done there, so what do we do now? Now, this is where my wife finds out that a neighbor of ours who lives close has a tractor with a tiller on the back. Now, this sounds promising. And they're talking, and she says, well, just mark out what you want. So I marked out the square where I wanted it to be, and I came back that day, and I said, when did he come? And she said, I don't know. It happened so fast. He just came and passed, 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 and he was gone. Like 10 minutes, there's this beautiful, well-turned garden plot. Started with a shovel, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I really sometimes think that in our faith, this is the futility of our life. We see this plot that we really want to turn into something else, and the answer or the truth is that we are not going to be able to do that. We need help. And that's the whole point, right? Jesus says, you need help. You're sinful. I'm attracted to that. I'm attracted to your sinfulness. I want to help you. Stop trying so hard. This could be so easy if you would just let me do it. All right, so again, if you want this to be true, or if you know that this is true, why don't you say it with me? It is my sinfulness that attracts Jesus to me. It's amazing. This truth also has been changing my life. These two truths that Jesus was perfect so I don't have to be, and that it's my sinfulness that attracts Jesus to me, has really opened up this, this action here, this sort of, we might call it a response It's that Jesus wants us to lift him up because he's perfect, not because we are. When you really understand truth one and truth two, this idea of telling other people about Jesus becomes a very attractive idea. You start to go, you know, everybody, it seems to me, is trying so hard to get someplace that they can't get. Why wouldn't I tell them about a God who loves them and sent his son to die for them? It starts to feel, I would say, natural. You start to go, man, I have something that you probably want. I want to tell you about it. You see, Jesus calls us to lift him up once we've experienced his love. And there's nobody in this room, there's nothing that you've done that disqualifies you from doing that. Because only sinful people can lift up Jesus. Paul reminds us, he says, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. What Paul is saying is everybody that God calls hasn't lived up to their standard. Everybody that God calls is not functioning at, you know, the peak performance that they think they are. But God calls all of us despite that. He wants us to lift him up, not because we're perfect, but because he is. 
And in fact, Paul will later go on in that same letter to talk about how when people that aren't perfect lift up a God who is, it makes God's perfection shine even brighter. It's amazing how that works. Jesus, he said it like this. He said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now he's talking about the cross, but this carries over to us. Who is it that's going to lift Jesus up on the cross so the whole world can see his, the full extent of his love? It's going to be sinful people. Who is it today that's going to lift up Jesus? It's going to be sinful people. Now, I know that some of you maybe still aren't convinced, and maybe you're not sure about that. And I would say I, I understand that. I've been there. I've lived in that place. I want to share with you just a brief story, a case study, if you will, a guy by the name of Brendan Manny. Maybe you've read some of his stuff. His big book was Ragamuffin Gospel, and it's pretty powerful. And throughout all of his teaching, throughout all of his talking, Brendan Manning, he just talks about how God's grace and his love is just so overwhelming. And I've loved to read his writings. But just a few months ago, I read his memoir. It's called All is Grace. And what I learned about Brendan Manning that I did not know is that through his entire life, he struggled with alcoholism. I knew that he had been an alcoholic, and I, along with many other people, thought he had had that under control. But you read his memoir, and you realize that stayed with him his whole life. It just, he never was able to shake it. And it was pretty bad. Like, he would preach at these big rallies, like, I know Promise Keepers had him come out for a few years, where there's like 20,000 men in this arena, and he would preach, and people would come forward, and they would accept the love of Jesus Christ, and they would begin a relationship with God, and they would commit themselves to being a better husband and father, and go back home and try to live that way. And then Brennan Manning would go back to his hotel with a bottle of cheap scotch, and would literally black out for two days. And as he writes this book, I'll just tell you, if you're going to read it, you're not going to want to read any of his other stuff because you're going to say, what does this guy have to say to me? But I read his other stuff first, and I realized that God was using him, not because he was perfect, but because God was. And he used, I think, Brennan Manning's, his brokenness to highlight his love. And the title of the book's beautiful. He says, it's all grace. It's all grace. I want to just read an excerpt towards the end of the book. Here's what he says, kind of in summary. He says, my message unchanged for more than 50 years is this. God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. God loves you just as you are unconditionally, not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. He goes on. He says, my life is a witness to vulgar grace a grace that amazes as it offends, a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5. This vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap. It's free. And as such will always be a banana peel for the orthodox foot and a fairy tale for the grown-up sensibility. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. Friends, that's the truth. It's his passion that led us here. And it's that passion when you really understand it, or at least a part of it, it can change your life. And it can lead you to places that are completely new and different to show God's love to others.
We're going to talk more about that later. But this morning, I want to just kind of close as we come to our time of response. I know that some of you perhaps have never received the love of Jesus Christ. You've never responded to that. If so, we'd love for you to come forward. We'd love to, to, to introduce you to Jesus and tell you how to start that relationship with him. But others of you, and I, maybe this is most of you, I would say you probably know this, but you keep fighting this battle. And you keep trying to be perfect, even though Jesus says you think you still have to be. And you think that God is repelled from your sinfulness. And you can't quite wrap your mind around the fact that he's attracted to it. And so I want to give you a real simple challenge this week to do this. To this week, when you're stuck in that place and you're feeling like, man, God doesn't love me or I'm not lived up to my standard or any of these things, would you repeat one of those two phrases to yourself? Go ahead and say it out loud if you're in a place where you can and people won't look at you crazy or just say it in your mind. Jesus is perfect, so I don't have to be. Or it is my sinfulness that attracts Jesus to me. Go ahead and say those this week. And I, I, here's what I suspect will happen. As you dwell more on the love of God instead of your fear of not living up to your own expectations, I think what will happen is you'll start to see God's love come to penetrate that part that you've been hiding from Him and resisting. And I think that you'll start to see that you grow in your love, not just towards God, but towards others. And I think you'll start to see that if you really let God's love in, it will change your life. Thanks for listening. When you're ready to take the next step on your faith journey, visit our website at bowlinggreenchristian.org and find more information about service times and other programming for both adults and children. Thank you again and have a blessed day.